Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Before we get into today's podcast, I want to give a little little intro regarding what we're going to be up to in the coming weeks. I will be heading down to Savannah, Georgia uh, in the middle of next week to, pre- to present some of my research at the National Association for Kinesiology in Higher Education. It's the NACI annual conference. It's their national conference. So I'll be down in Georgia with some really incredible professionals to that end, uh, presenting really important research, or so I believe. Just after that, on January 17, we are hosting a free clinic for coaches um, in Arlington Heights, Illinois. So a free powerlifting clinic to be exact. It's sponsored and run through the Illinois High School Powerlifting Association. We'll have a guest speaker, Tom Soroka. Um, We will have a referee certification at the back end. I think it's gonna be a really powerful day for anyone who's interested in using powerlifting specifically, uh, strength training as a means of education. I think it has the power to benefit not only the whole student, but the entire educational environment. So those are the next two big dates. We're going to Georgia, uh, then soon after we're going to Arlington Heights, Illinois. If you're looking to register for those events or learn more about them, Find us at Coach for Kindness. That's at Coach the Number Four Kindness on social media. We are so excited to bring you my friend and colleague, Andy Mill. Andy is one of the elite physical education teachers in the nation, as far as I'm concerned, and we learn more about it in the podcast. But he received his bachelor's in sports and recreation from Staffordshire University in England his postgraduate certificate from Exeter University, also in England. His professional life has been spent primarily in the suburbs of Chicago. He has presented at the state, district, and national level. He served multiple positions at IFERD, which is the Illinois Association of Health, PE, Recreation, and Dance, essentially the governing body of physical education in the state. And he has really pushed for the use of technology in classrooms to expand the educational environment. I gotta tell you that there are very few educators in physical education, from my experience, that are doing this at the depth uh, with the level of care and understanding and passion that Andy Milne is. His students rave about how much they learn in his classes, how much they enjoy showing up, and his co-workers are inspired by his energy and his innovation. So without further ado, we bring to you Andy Milne. To find out more about the Good Athlete Project, find us on social media at Coach the Number Four kindness that's coach for kindness or at goodathleteproject.com all right so as you can tell from my accent i'm not from here i'm originally from london england ah. and uh i was teaching there for 12 years uh, as a pe teacher was very comfortable in a tracksuit um bounced around three schools in london from very small underperforming academically very working class very white uh, then ended up at a all boys, very exclusive all boys private school, uh, 1,250 boys from the age of seven to 18. Um, so a real range of experiences and was happy. I would stay there for the rest of my life. Great, great school. And then um, bumped into an American girl in a bar and one thing led to another and, and moved over here. And that, and that in itself is a great story. I can <laughs> yeah. throw layers on there. I can, I can melt people's hearts with the whole oh, no. romantic story G- behind give it. Give us a version though. Because I've, I've actually heard this because uh, it was at, was it Shape Nashville? You had the power of connection. And yeah. Kind of told, yeah. I, was, I was out with a Green Bay Packer. I was out with Mark Tauscher, uh, right tackle for, for the Packers. And, um, and that was a memorable experience in itself. Sure. 
wandering around at the end of their evening, see uh, a group of very attractive young ladies who were still uh, <laughs> still yeah. upright and sober. Straight yeah. teeth, they had to be American. Big <laughs> hair, big hair, they had to be from the Midwest. <laughs> Shoulder pads, probably from Illinois. And um, went yeah. over and spoke to them. And we just traded um, contact details, my wife and I, and that was it. We passed like ships in the night, she was gone. Went back to America the next day, but uh, my brother was emigrating to the States through work and I wanted to visit a city and reached out to Caroline and said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in town. Do you want to meet up? And she was a great host for a week. I stayed with her family. For a week? For a week, yeah, because I, I was a teacher. I had all the time in the world. Yeah. And, um, and, you, and you met at, you call him a chipper? Uh, over there, that's what we call them. Like the late night food place. No, this was um, this was this, the venue was called Tiger Tiger. It oh. was a it was a drinking establishment that Fair that, that had music as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I, and I fell in love with Chicago, and then fell in love with her shortly afterwards, and uh, and that was it. And and the move itself was tough because I'd gone from being a twelve year veteran in the classroom, I had a good reputation as a coach and as a teacher. And then you come to the States and no one knows you and, right, and right, coming right. from a different environment, no GPA, major minors, transcripts. I wasn't an alarm. So everything was alien to me. And, uh, and it took a while to pick up the green card, pick up, you know, my first uh, work experience. Um, and then ultimately I find myself now in, a, in an amazing school. Right. Which we were a perfect marriage because a school like this, you know, I'm a new trio high school. A school right. like this um, is prepared to to recruit experienced teachers um, with a different background and a different resume so so yeah I'm happy here it's been a good move was what was your was this your first stop here no my uh, my first stop in the states uh, was a, a year working at Barrington High School I knew that yeah and while waiting for, and that because the thing is um, you can't be a teacher without a green card and the green card takes about a year to go through but you can be an aide so I worked ah. as a teacher's aide so that in itself was a humbling experience. One, I got to know America and, and everything that you do here that's so good and experience the high school experience uh, for real, not through a John Hughes movie. Um, but, but also I was an aide in a classroom where I had more teaching experience than every teacher I was with. Right. So that was different as well. Sure. So it, I really had to be patient. I earned a very basic salary. But uh, as soon as the green card came through, put my feelers out and um, a Catholic school picked me up. Uh, they were looking for a new teacher. They didn't have a great salary, but I and I and I was just looking for a job. So you know, they got a, a twelve-year veteran, thirteen-year veteran for a salary that I was more than eager to jump into. So I was, I was a Carmel Catholic. I was gonna say, and also the entryway to uh, how people can reach out and find you, right? Because I, I know you get the question via Twitter. Yeah, I tweet as Carmel Health, Carmel and people, Health, right. even like people who've known me forever, are like, wait, how, why are you called Carmel Health? Right. And they gave me my first break, and, yeah. and I don't think I, I want to change my name. I think I owe it to them. I, I, you know, I'll always have a soft spot for Carmel. They helped yeah. develop me as an educator. They gave me the freedom to, to just run with ideas, sure. uh, which set me in a great position to then pick up this position I'm in right now. That's amazing. What were some of the biggest... Um, I kind of want to go with this John Hughes angle a little oh, bit. Oh, okay. Too, like, well, w w what were some of the biggest uh, surprises? How does how does our educational environment differ from the one that you spent many years in? So prior? schools here are bigger. You yeah. know, I'm now in a school with 4,000 kids over right. two campuses. And uh, what's Barrington? Barrington's, uh, Barrington's maybe 3,000, 3,000 yeah, 3, yeah. and change. Um, but uh, yeah, the biggest school I was at in England was 1,250. My first mm. school had 850 students. Sure. Uh, and that was from 11 to 18. Sure. So, oh, wow. Yeah, because so, so our high school, our secondary school gotcha. is, is 11 to 18. So the size is different. Um, I love what you do to special ed over here. Special mm -hmm. ed, 
I mean, I have to be mindful of the fact that I was teaching in the 90s and the early 2000s mm -hmm. and maybe special right. ed itself hadn't really developed. But here, I think, I think there's greater care given um, towards the kids who have different needs. Right. Um, the relationship between sport and phys ed is different here as well. Mm -hmm. um, in England, the PE teachers are also the, the coaches and there's a real link. You, you develop your athletes in your PE program right. and then you're effectively like cherry picking them and, and bringing them into the teams. Whereas here, I think it is split. Your phys mm -hmm. ed program is your phys ed program and then you've got this great coaching environment you know, for your extracurriculars and right. oftentimes you're bringing in coaches from outside. Hmm. There's so much more money thrown into it. The Friday Night Lights experience, I absolutely love, you know, and again, it's something I've seen on TV and on movies right. um, and never experienced it. I was a good athlete as a kid and, and in college, and yet the biggest crowd I'd ever get at a game would be 20 to 30 people. Yeah. You know, and, and now, you know, I go to a high school game and there's thousands in attendance. Were you there for the Loyola game this year? I wasn't here for that one, no, but I know, and I know what role that plays within the community as well. Sure. And I know the role that sports play as well. It's an interest. It's an interesting one. I were you here for the Loyola game, Alex? I was not. We were playing our own game. Ah, uh, what what was it called? Quidditch. Well, Quidditch. We well played our own game. <laughs> yeah. No, we uh. Well, Loyola beat us that day. Yeah. Uh, and deserved to. They're they're a good team for sure. Um, but it was that was even being from this region. That was like I mean it was people were standing room only. We sold out fast. There was a viewing party over at Loyola. We wow. had put an expansion on our stands this year on the stadium. It was packed to the gills. It was unbelievable. And then there was like a torrential down. I know. I heard the weather was <laughs> midway, terrible. Midway through the first quarter. Um, well, I, th there's two uh, kind of threads that I want to follow. One is your experience in, as an athlete and how valuable that was. Um, and, and two, and you pick which one you want to go with first. The other was... Uh, PE structure in Illinois, the platform of physical education has been challenged recently. Uh, I wonder if you think, I, I, I just want to hear your thoughts about that. I wonder, you mentioned the alignment with athletics. Do you think that has potential to um, enhance physical education if we, if we adjust that model and that relationship more? Or kind of, what's your perspective? And before, just so you give you a moment to kind of gather your thoughts and pick which one of those lines you want to go down first. I will say that uh, I just came back from the Indiana conference, which a lot of, with a lot of your friends, and I and I started that conference and many that I that I'll speak at um, in the physical education realm. With look, I'm not a PE teacher. I don't have the qualifications to do it. This is you know this is your field. But I will say as like kind of an outsider, but one that lives right on the you know fence alongside everyone. Um, but as someone whose immediate day job is not directly affected by all of this. I can still tell you that I believe that when it's done well, it's probably the most valuable uh, class that we can take, at least at scale. Meaning, if you are interested in the arts or the sciences or you're a history buff, the one universal sort of replicating constant in your life and academic experience is you and your personal health and wellness. And if you don't know how to do that, like you, you just, you, you're not going to be able to if you don't take care of your wellness, you're not going to be able to engage in AP Calc concepts in quite the same way. And that, that holds true for everyone always. That's why I value the space so much. So I, I certainly don't want to see it go away or even get challenged in any way that would, would limit um, your ability to be great in the ways that you have proven to be. Um, where do you think we're going? What are your, some, of, some of your ideas along that road? So I'm often asked what's the biggest difference between American PE and English PE. And in England, it's physical 
which is a small physical, you can't see this, but I'm actually doing something yes. small with my hands right now. <laughs> it's physical education. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotcha. The education piece carries more weight. <clears throat> and I wonder if in America, oftentimes it's physical and that the physical piece is the, is the emphasis and the education piece is, is not, so, not so big, doesn't carry so much weight. Hmm. And I think that's our downfall, especially when we look at state standards and performance indicators and descriptors and all the things that we're supposed to be teaching our students. And yet, I think there's many teachers out there who are happy that happy, sweaty, busy is, is the sign of a great PE lesson. And that's right. not necessarily the case because you ask, you know, in that case, do you need an educator to be there or do right. you just need an activity coordinator? Um, hmm. So, so I, think, I think we do still need to emphasize the educational piece, particularly when you've got sports and, and other activities demanding waivers for their their kids because they're so busy and they're being mm. very active and i'm in band and band is physically very enduring and i'm out there marching and i'm putting in two hours a day in my band practice and that's wonderful but i don't think you're getting the educational piece that comes from those right. state standards and and if you want to mm. continue that line and i can be facetious here but I'm a member of a library. I have a library card, so maybe I should be wavered out of English because I do read a lot at home. Right. And I am in Science Olympiad, so maybe I mm. don't have to go to science. So I think, I think we have to fight any opportunity where people are chipping away yeah. at what it is that we do. And, and I know that Shape America have just put out a new position statement, and it's all about there should be no waivers. No one should be out of PE because you're missing out on the educational experience. I agree. Let's talk about that for a second. And you, holy cow, that quick burst gave mm -hmm. me so many ideas okay. um, one is first of all I agree completely with shape America's position mm -hmm. you should not be waved out of PE and we are sitting in a school where people do wave out of PE yeah. so I don't mean to challenge I'm not trying to bite the hand that feeds no I hate you. but I, I there's an asterisk to my comment see below the see below part would be um, yeah like playing varsity football hypothetically should not exempt you from physical education mm -hmm. when it's done well that's kind of the big kicker. So to really like you, you again, no one can see this because we are on a podcast, but the small to you know, small versus large, the, the physical education, if we really take ourselves seriously as educators, now we're talking about an environment that people should not be able or be permitted to miss out on. Yeah. It's an essential environment in that way. And I think, have you ever heard the name Howard Gardner? No. This is, whoop, this is one of his books. It's called Good Work. I'll share, it's probably not the one that applies most directly to this, but he's got, um, he became most famous for something called multiple intelligence theory. He's one of the leading researchers in the world right now. Um, I'm lucky to know him pretty much only in passing, to be honest. Um, but he's, he's just a wonderful guy. And you might, this is uh, what we're looking at right now is a, is a book called Good Work. Um, when excellence and ethics meet, it's actually kind of uh, the thoughts here are actually at the heart of the Good Athlete Project in a major way. He runs something called the Good Project out at Harvard. But some of these other names, Howard Gardner is um, a distinguished professor at Harvard. Uh, Bill Damon started at Harvard. I believe he's one of the founders of Project Zero. He's now at Stanford. And you, you remember, you know that name? You know the book Flow? Yes. That's that's him. Okay. I dare you uh, to pronounce his I'm name. I'm not going to try it. <laughs> And you remember how it looks like a great the uh, author of flow. That's a great score in Scrabble. If you could somehow get, yes. Um, Don't ask No, me. I'm not going to take up your time trying to pronounce that. But, but he's most known for multiple intelligence theory. And, and um, one thing that, that jumps out to me is that um, maybe we don't give physical 
intelligence the credit it is due. Therefore, put it in this box of like sweaty and breathing hard. It is, you know, check the, you know, box check, job mm -hmm. done. We put it in this category where it doesn't necessarily belong, or at least not fully understood, um, and there and separate it then from like mathematics. Multiple intelligence theory identifies, if nothing else, that every dem every behavior, every cognitive process, uh, and and intentional behavior is some version of intelligence. Right, which includes the cognitive processes that allow like a Russian ballet dancer to do things that most of humanity cannot do. Mm -hmm. Right, they, they just elite intelligence when it comes to physical movement and rhythms and things like that. You, you could say that the arts, there are artistic geniuses. A huge component of that is not just the cerebral part, it's the, you know, the manipulation of materials and things like that. There's a physical intelligence to that. Uh, and actually, I think Howard makes the quote or makes the statement at one point, um, you know, there are Russian ballet dancers with more intelligence in their pinky toe than half of humanity, you know, because these are geniuses just in a realm that we don't always see as like a realm that you could be super intelligent. Yeah. Mathematics, very clear. But I wonder, just to go back to your point, I wonder if that's part of the reason that we don't recognize each of these as its own individual intelligence, that we take the one that looks physical and kind of batch processes it, batch process it, shove it over here, and forget that there's a real, real education going on that's, that's a mind-body connection and, and why health is a class that everyone should take and be getting A's in, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, if you're failing health, um, you're, you're probably on a, a destructive path i think i need to read the book now you've got I me so uh, you've got me thinking <laughs> it's i mean there's a social okay. justice angle as well um regarding how do we perceive being sweaty and mm. being physical and if you're if we're white collar workers you know office, and, and we're business people and we're in an office space we don't necessarily perceive the the sweaty physical laborers as being as mm. i don't know as, as good as we are so i think i think there's that angle as well sure. and, and i can't speak particularly uh well on that but i have heard kind of a school, of thought, a school of thought that being sweaty isn't something that, that society kind of perceives as, as valuable i mean that makes complete sense if you're talking to a room full of rocket scientists you know you you can you can kind of pigeonhole the the, the sweaty jock, you know? I'm trying to find the name of somebody, that, a name that I want to drop. I'm a, I'm a big fan of dropping names. You got a name. Um, yeah, Martha James Hassan. You want to check out Tell Martha, Martha James Hassan. She's an assistant professor at Morgan State University, um, and she's in Baltimore, and she's very good when it comes to talking about social justice, and I believe she's spoken very eloquently on that whole That's concept really of, of, of being physical and how... And how there's privileges in place that suggest that those those individuals aren't as valid and valuable as, as those who sit behind a computer. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And, and when you say social justice, I, I can't help but think of another component of that conversation, why health is such a necessary thing, not, you know, for every student. Uh, we have, we live in the, we're in the midst of a very real obesity epidemic. It's something, I don't know the exact numbers, but I want to say 50 plus percent is either of America is either diabetic or pre-diabetic. Um, we are not a healthy nation and it's not, and it's not uh, maybe what people think. It's not like overindulgent folks, you know, uh, like, you know, eating like kings and queens. Uh, a lot of it is people in low income areas who don't have the understanding and thereafter the access to healthy nutrition and an understanding of, of how to stay healthy and well. And when you talk about like, 
I, we, I don't want to go down this path fully. We probably need to bring an expert in on, on expert in how, how this all kind of fits together. But um, there's a sort of embedded social injustice. If, if you can draw the links between health and wellness and cognitive performance and success in a variety of ways, and we have, we have very real areas in, I mean, we're sitting here on the north side of Chicago, we go 20 miles south, 30 miles south, and I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find a fresh apple. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, we, we try and touch upon that because obviously now I predominantly teach health, um, mm -hmm. but I do like to bring that social justice element in and, and many of our kids are certainly switched on um, and I tell them that some of them will be able to go ahead and make some change later on in their lives. Sure. Um, but there are, there are teachers in the building who are talking about food deserts. Mm -hmm. um, we'll talk about inequity and, and, and as you say, it's, it's, it's not necessarily, people aren't eating badly by choice. Right. If they could eat more healthily, and, and more affordably, they would do, but right. they're, they're not in an environment necessarily where that's available to them for yeah. time reasons or financial reasons or just location reasons. Right. So we'll talk about that in health, but I wish we could go deeper in that. Sure. We just don't have the time. Will, right. There's limits in the curriculum. What are, what are some of the things that you try to fold into your curriculum? Because I, like, I wish we could video, and maybe we even will someday, uh, one of your classes, because it's not, it's not just... Um, hey, here's how you put on a heart rate monitor. That's not what we're doing in health class anymore. So what are the things that you especially like to teach and how do you fold things like social justice into the curriculum? So um, there's a real school of thought right now in, in health teaching uh, towards skills-based instruction. Mm -hmm. We know that uh, giving people the facts isn't enough to make change in their behavior. Mm -hmm. We know that scare tactics don't work. You know, right. if I'm teaching sexually transmitted infections, I don't need to show them graphic images because this, that's not the takeaway. That's not the functional knowledge my kids need to have anyway. Right. Um, you know, at the end of the day, and we've just spent two days in the classroom talking about sexually transmitted infections, the, the takeaway is if something doesn't feel right, go get help. So maybe uh, we're accessing valid and reliable sources of information to try and find a, a service provider within the community. Mm. Um, maybe we have to look at communication skills or advocacy skills and advocating for yourself or others. So everything nowadays, although you might recognize a lot of the content material, um, the, the spin and the takeaway is always the, the skill piece. If we're talking mm. about drugs and alcohol, really we're talking about decision making. How do I factor right. my values and my beliefs into that and eventually make a decision and that feedback loop that, was that decision the healthiest one I could make? If so, mm -hmm. I'll repeat that. And if it wasn't, what can I do next time to make a, a more healthy decision? Right. When we're talking about relationships, we're talking about communication. Mm. Uh, when we're talking about living a healthy lifestyle, really we're talking about setting healthy goals. So m now in, in health class, it's not regurgitating facts and just right. you know, copying out pages from a, from a textbook. It's me trying to give the students skills and tools that allows them to navigate being a teenager and hopefully beyond and I'll quote a student from Carmel Catholic who said it's not about getting an A in the class, it's about getting an A in life. Sure. And it really is. I, I, my kids will probably get an A. They'll get an A because they do what I ask them to do and, and you know, right. they're very compliant. But it's do they then abide by those rules, by those, the skills that we've given them and can they go ahead and live the healthiest life possible? Right. Uh, and, that, and I think that underpins everything. Can you be the healthiest version of you possible? Hmm. Can you be the healthiest Trevian? Trevian is obviously our, our mascot. So what does it mean to be a healthy Trevian? Yeah. And I know that comes back to the great work that you do. And, 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 you know, and Alex talks about this as well and the pillars. Yeah. And if you can get your sleep right and right. your stress right and your activity levels right. And for right. me, it's also if you can have an open dialogue with mom and dad. Mm. And when we're talking about sex, if abstinence can be your choice for as long as possible, I think if you've got those five, then you're going to be in a good position to move forward in life mm -hmm. that's awesome I think that's fantastic well and I and I want to say something lame like 
not your granddad's PE class or something. But it's <laughs> like not. A, it's, but it, that's what I'm saying. I, I, this is, it's not. Yeah. It's not, we, we use a, a tagline whenever we meet with people or teams or, or do consultation, we say like, do you want to be right or do you want to be successful? Mm-hmm. Okay, and now let's define success. Like you could in that pre, in the iteration, whatever, 1.0, it might've been, like you said, regurgitation of information and you might've been right. You might have said, here are the percentages, here are the facts, here's this Xerox copy of, of the you know what I mean? You, yeah. You're right, these, are, these things are correct. You're not, you're not doing anything wrong, but are you gonna be successful? And to define success, it sounds like, I'm hearing from you, is that you, wanna, you want actual behavior change. Yeah. You want lifestyle adjustments. You want to equip people with strategies that they can actually use. Like, but I'm yeah. gonna come back to what you just said, that regurgitation, my students are really good at that. They're really good at giving oh, yeah. me what they think I want. And they'll give yes. me A-grade material, and I'm so disappointed with it, because I'll say to them, you've just given me what you thought I wanted. Right. Don't tell me what you think I wanna hear. Tell me mm. the truth. Like, you know, when we, I know that you would follow the steps of the decision-making model, and you're gonna tell me that every time you're, you're gonna refuse that alcohol. Right, and you, <laughs> right. But that's not the case. Hmm. So tell me the truth here. I don't wanna hear, what what you think I should hear. And then when it comes to asking questions, don't ask questions that we know the answers to. No yeah. one's interested in that. Yeah. Ask me the questions that we don't have the answers to yet. Yeah. So we actually did a big thing yesterday in the classroom about asking an effective question and a deeper question. Give me the questions that we then have to go and find. We can't just Google. We need to work out to therefore make some change in later life. Yeah, dude, that's so good. I'm not kidding. I like this another reason that I think physical education has such great potential when done well. Mm-hmm. Uh, is because there you go. Like in in history class, if you ask for the date range of the Peloponnesian War, there's a there's a there's a and, and there's an accepted answer, right? But there's maybe not the dialogue. You can talk through it, and this is I'm not trying to knock history teachers mm-hmm. or curriculum or anything. It's very important. But from physical education and like the decision making element, it's like I want to know. I'm not kidding. I wish I had had the discussion in high school. What do I do at 3 a.m. After I've had a few drinks, yeah. hypothetically, say I'm over the legal drinking age, you yeah. know, just for sake of this sharing this podcast, mm-hmm. um, what do I do at 3 a.m. when these are the the deci- things that are presented? You know, there's a social pressure going on. There are people who want me to, I don't know, throw a an egg at someone's house. I'm using the lamest freaking example. Yeah. You know what I mean? But decision A versus decision B or any alternatives. How do what is the skill set that I might need to turn down some of these more uh, potentially damaging options when I'm in the moment, not thinking super clearly. My prefrontal cortex is 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 kind of ratcheted down because of the alcohol, and yeah. you know. So, so I, I think it's meaningful learning. So for us as health teachers, then to to come to that, so there we are. We're talking about decision making, and we're asking you to factor in your values and your beliefs, and ultimately you then eliminate all of the options and the outcomes, and you find the one that you think is going to mm-hmm. give you the best the best result. But so, so us as health teachers, we need to give students the opportunity to practice that. So yeah. there will be role play and there'll be scenarios so that like a coach wouldn't send a player out into the game without having practiced. Mm-hmm. So if, if life is the game, the game of life, I want to give you the opportunities to practice being in those situations so that one day when you do get presented with that red solo cup, although it might seem a little bit lame to think back to the health class, at least you've, you've gone through that process in that scenario four or five times. Mm-hmm. So the first time you refuse isn't the first time you're in the game. Like the first time yes. you, you hit that three pointer, you've practiced it multiple Don't times be surprised beforehand. by your success. So That's hopefully right. you get the right outcome. So I, I know that my role plays can be awkward and a little bit giggly mm-hmm. at times, but maybe it's the seventh time and you're at the party and you get the red solo cup and at least you can say, well, I've been here before. 
I think I can be a little bit more confident and stand by my my decision if I'm push if I get the pushback. This is amazing. Anyone who's listened to our podcast before may have or experienced one of our workshops, you may have heard this before. He, like you're doing something, and we didn't pre-plan this. No. That's exactly the model that we should be taking more often. And the and and here's my thoughts on it. What you're doing is you're activating the premotor cortex of the brain so that when faced with this decision making, you know, this decision, like you said, you've already made it. At least, you know, you, uh, you have a mental model of it that you, you know, and you've made the decision seven times before or whatever yeah. before uh, before it's happened. That is, I'm going to give the brain uh, forest analogy again. I think it's one of the most poignant ones, especially when we think of behavior. If the brain is a forest, you know, the most complicated forest you can ever imagine, and we are essentially walking paths from one end to another, uh, the first learning is like trying to get through the forest the first time. It's complicated and it's hard. But the more you walk the same path, the easier it is to travel. And it, you don't have to be uh, like in football. You don't. It doesn't have to be third and eight, and you got to complete the the nine yard route. It doesn't have to be on Friday night that you do that. You can rep it. You know what I mean. So that when it comes to Friday night, third and eight, you hit the nine yard route. Boom, get out of bounds. Done deal. But the the preliminary doing of that work is exact. And I was kind of hoping you would go down some version of this path. Like the, the answer to my question, I think is. Um, you, you just, you can't be that thoughtful at 3am when you're drunk and feeling social pressure. But if your sort of default decisions are healthy ones, if you've been in that scenario before, it's not, it's not, um, like that's what you're going to lean on. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense at all? You know what I mean by that? It's like the decision's kind of already been made because yeah. if we're asking people to really do the work of thinking at 3 a.m. when you've got a split-second decision make to make and X amount of beers in you, we're, we're asking kids to do something that's not, or, or young people, or people in general, something that's really not that feasible. So that's awesome that you're getting ahead of that stuff. Thank you. Uh, we yeah. haven't really gotten into your athletic background at all. You, you alluded to playing in high school and college, so. Uh, yeah, and I wonder if my pathway to become a, a PE teacher was the same as many, many of the, the teachers, you know, my peers. That's where I saw my success. I went to a very academic grammar school as a kid, um, and academically, I was very average. I was a C grade student, which my wife thinks is amazing that I got C's because now we're living in a great inflated environment where everybody right. gets an A, right? And I was right. a C because everything was on a bell curve, and I was smack bang in the middle. Yeah. But I was always, I always saw success um, in the physical education environment. Fastest kid in school, best basketball player in school. Um, played a bit of cricket, a bit of soccer. Um, but my strengths were basketball and track, yeah. um, which I think has helped me in the States because they're still very much you know, perceived as, 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 as good sports. Um, and then, then when it came to graduating high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And, and, yeah. and somebody said, well, you love playing basketball. Why don't you just go to college? Went to college, played basketball for four years. Which college? Uh, I went to Staffordshire University. Yeah. Um, which was interesting. We had an intake of freshmen who were actually very good. And so we were all starters. So we were just successful for those three years because our, our degrees are three years. And then went down to Exeter University, which is a much mm -hmm. more prestigious college. Um, it's the one I talk about the most. And that's, mm -hmm. it's probably one of the top two places for turning out physical education teachers. Um, so I was very proud of my time there, played basketball there. And again, didn't know what I wanted to do, but I love sport. True. Went into physical education teaching and it wasn't until I was a teacher I realized that I love teaching. Yeah. I didn't know that that's where I was sure. supposed to be. Right. And then, you know, if, if I really stretch the story, after seven years, I actually became jaded. Um, I was unhappy with the politics. I was unhappy at that time of life as well and, and was looking for a change. I dropped out of education for a couple of years, tried something else, chased the money. Sure. 
was successful getting extra money, but there was no emotional reward. Right. So came back into teaching mm -hmm. uh, and never looked back since. You know, and now I'm 23 years into my career and I have more energy and I'm, I'm more, you know, energized coming into school right. now than I have ever been. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. And that's a, Alex, that's a good uh, question to come back to you because I, I, we, we often ask the question, or we often give the advice, uh, chase the work that you're willing to do. And if something kept calling you back to mm -hmm. this realm, and maybe that's the realm that you belong in, right? It did. I went to recruitment um, where you got paid on finding other people jobs, right? Mm -hmm. So I would find people jobs. They'd get a big salary boost and I'd get a bonus. Mm -hmm. And my coworkers were saying to me, you know, how come you're not excited? You just got a bonus. When you've taught a, a blind kid to head a soccer ball, when you've taught a kid with no hands how to swim, oh, like you can't beat that. You no. can't beat that anywhere. So my, the relationships I've had with my kids who have gone on to become grown-ups and I'm friends with them on social media and some right. of them have become teachers, those relationships are enduring. I have mm. no relationships with anybody I, I right. had in those two years not being involved in education. I love that. That's so, that's so meaningful and it just gives more power to the platform that we always talk about the community component in, in recruiting, no disrespect to anyone who's in it, but uh, perhaps like if you're all, if the thing that you share is that you're all chasing like the next bonus, mm -hmm. that might be a fleeting thing. If the thing that you share is you are interested in your own and others' personal development or, you know, longitudinally and equipping them with, with you know, successful strategies mm -hmm. for life, that's something to really kind of bond over and, and, and share for a lifetime potentially. Uh, I'm gonna ask, before we go into the lightning round, <laughs> uh, I think he's, he's coming up with some good questions over here. Big critic fan. Uh, critic. Uh, well, maybe Katie critic fan. Cricket. Cricket. I was getting, I was getting Quidditch and, cr and, and there Croquet. Could be a, there and could croquet. be a combination, actually, maybe, of all these things. But before we do, to build on that community idea, can you give us a brief overview of the Send a Teacher campaign? Oh, okay. So I'm fortunate that I work in a school that encourages me, encourages me to actively seek out professional development. Right. and attend conferences. Um, and then once I became a, a better teacher, they would encourage me to go to other conferences and, and spread the work that we're doing here. So I'm, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll cover the salary, you know, cover the flight and, and, the, and the fees. But I, the more I travel, the more I realize that that's not the case for so many teachers. Right. And to hear people say, you know, I've had to pay for my own sub, I've had to take personal days to be here. Yeah. I'm here this year because somebody else was here last year, or we pulled our names out of a hat. Yeah. It's terrible. Um, so I set up something called the Send a Teacher Initiative. So senderteacher.com is a website you can go to where there's uh, merchandise for sale. And 100% of the profits go towards this, this pool of money to send teachers to the, our national convention mm. every year. So when we first started off, we found two young teachers from um, uh, Boston Public Schools mm -hmm. and we sent them to the conference. They wouldn't have been able to go, go otherwise because there was just no money. Right. Uh, and then the next year we sent two teachers to Nashville when Hurricane Harvey kicked in, uh, hit Texas, um, a teacher in Texas said, can we raise some money for that? The school I know was just wiped out. The PE yeah. department has nothing. Uh, so we sold a range of, of um, funding, of clothing just for Texas. Uh, we raised enough money to buy like a PE kit 101. So it had the hoops and the beanbags and the jump ropes and everything that you needed to get started again. Sure. So now we're in the third year, we're raising money. We'll send at least two teachers from uh, uh, Tampa public Tampa, schools right. to, the, to the Tampa convention in, in April. So if you go to senderteacher.com, there's t-shirts, there's hoodies. They're targeted at PE teachers and health teachers. Um, and there's a range of different designs that kind of crop up and then we, we pull some off. But uh, I'm very proud of that, that initiative yeah. to help other people. And, and the, the, the sales are global. There's teachers across the world now wearing our goods 
feeling good, looking good, knowing that they're helping other teachers. It's incredible. And, and, and what's incredible about it to me, when I first heard about it, it came from a, a, just, a, an, a, just a cool place of understanding and heart. It was just like, it, it, was, it was reaching out. I get to experience this. Uh, with every, we talk about this a lot in our stuff, is once you recognize a privilege with yourself or your situation, it's important to look out and kind of analyze who doesn't have this and can, can you extend a hand? Uh, and you're doing that kind of to a T. The other thing that is occurring to me is that one of the big pushes of the Good Athlete Project is uh, professional development. It's one of our biggest things. It's like, if, if we really do believe that athletics and physical education in this realm has the potential to be um, the most valuable learning environment in someone's life, if that's true, then the people who are cultivating, building cultures and giving the direction within that environment, the teachers and the coaches in that environment, then that they are the real, they're holding the reins to the most valuable learning environment that exists, you know, and if this logic line continues to flow, the professional support we give to those people, that might be an absolute differentiating factor in the lives of thousands and thousands of kids. Now, Again, in this place, in, in, in places like ours, so many places, they'll invest, I, I don't even know, I won't pick a number, but many thousands of dollars in professional development because as, as an institution, they recognize the value of that. That is a gap that may not seem as poignant as um, some other inequalities, but the, but the inability to support your professionals and help them grow over a career, like on the south side of Chicago, which is one of the places we work with, that's a huge opportunity. Every teacher needs the, the full support of their administration and they need regular personalized professional development. And yeah. so to go to our superintendent here and, and kind of go cap in hand and, and I feel bad asking for another couple of days to go to another convention somewhere in the country. And, and the attitude is always, well, if we don't send people, who, who will? That's right. We can afford it. We That's have right. enough good teachers. So it's, it, it doesn't hurt us as much as somebody else. So right. I love that we have that mindset that, that we're developing great teachers. We're retaining, we're recruiting, we're retaining good teachers. And then we're encouraging them to share that, that yeah. knowledge with other, other educators. That's awesome. I feel the same way. And so thanks to uh, the people who are making that possible, for sure. Absolutely. And you. Um, okay. Are you sitting down? Because <laughs> yes. the lightning round. Okay. <laughs> Time for the lightning round. This bit scares me. Okay. The lightning round. It scares you. Why? I don't know. Is the first answer Adele? Followed by Coldplay. Well, no. the, the first question is, what was the first job you ever had? And if it was an Adele, Adele or Coldplay? No, I was selling sneakers at 14. I worked in a, a local sneaker store, um, and then that was a local one. Then I ended up working in a, in a bigger one in Oxford Street in the center of London. I had that job all through college. Every time I came back from vacation, the job was always waiting for me. I had the latest, freshest kicks. I was wearing, I see kids now wearing Jordan 2s and 3s and 4s. I was playing in those. I was selling those and playing in those. So I'll, I'll be like, hey, great Jordans. They're like, uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, I played some of my best basketball in those Jordans. At which point they're like, aren't these just fashion shoes? Yeah. No, they were legitimately yeah, great sneakers. Or are you still, would you still consider yourself a sneakerhead to this if day? If I had the money, if I had the money, I've got, I've got some, yeah, I've got some fresh Jordans that might come out every now and again and limited edition. Some students pick up on them, mm -hmm. um, like my black and green ones that I've got that were limited edition. I think they're part of the Jordan 50. Every game he scored 50 in, yeah. they released like a color range. And I sp specifically sought those out because when I presented in Boston, I insisted on wearing green. Mm -hmm. when, I pre when I presented in Minneapolis, yeah. I insisted on wearing purple. So I'm going to Tampa. I don't know why I wear in Tampa, like pastel shades, yeah. <laughs> pink, neon blue. 
That's yeah, that, I like that. Uh, <laughs> this guy is a, kind of a sneakerhead. All right. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, if you could have one superpower, what would you uh, what would you choose? Oh, you know, I've I've been asked this before. Um, I would like to be able to switch places with people. Body swap. Uh, and you know, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna I'll probably tear up on this. I have a friend with multiple sclerosis, and uh, she has a tough time moving. And I'd I'd love to just switch places with her. Just so she could have a day or two without pain, and then we would switch back again. I mean, I don't know if it's a superpower. It's damn super, but that I would I'd, I'd sign me up for that. I don't need to fly, see through walls. I'm good. So a appropriately <laughs> yeah. noble answer to that question. Um, I thought he he's so noble. I thought he was going to say something like the power to. Uh, Positively affect children's <laughs> lives <laughs> as an educator. <laughs> and then Super if we were power. really pandering, we would have gone, yeah. guess you're a superhero. Yeah. That's right. End podcast. Uh, you're a fan of the beautiful game, no? Soccer. We're talking about soccer, yeah, right? Yeah. Football. Soccer, yes. Yeah. Uh, what, who, do you, who, do you, <laughs> who do you support? So Chelsea's my team, which for many of the plastic fans in the States, they'll Ooh. think that I'm uh, jumping on the bandwagon because we had money in re- modern days. I was, for, I was born in 1970. I'll let you do the math. And they won the FA Cup in 1970. And they wear blue, my favorite color. So I've seen them in the, in the dark times, the, the hooligan times, the relegation to yeah. the second tier times. And now we find ourselves in, a, in an era where we still have the money. We have the privilege. We're fully funded. You know? so, yeah, yeah. so we do okay. What is one habit or piece of technology that you feel contributes to your success? Being connected on social media mm-hmm. is, is amazing. Just knowing that 24-7 there are a group of educators out there that will give me frank, fully frank, open feedback. We can bounce ideas around. I love the fact that I could go live with a lesson on blog it on Monday. Tuesday, there's a teacher in Tasmania sharing their version of it and sharing that on social media as well. Now, it has its downfalls. I'm addicted. Uh, I'm on social media a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the connections that I have. I, you know, you go down to your conference in Indiana, I know eight people down there, you know, right, I, right, I know right, pretty right. much most people in, in my, my small sphere. So social media is fire to me. Can I add, can I add to the lightning round question? Of course, yeah. Because I think I, you do it really well. Uh, and actually, Alex, if you didn't know, he gave a presentation at the, Na- at the uh, Shape America National Convention last year about... Being connected, about being, being a connected, connected educator. Yeah, a connected yeah. educator, exactly right. Um, but you did tap on something that's super important. How do you, how do you, what are some strategies you use to balance um, the addiction, okay, to, or to fend off the addiction? Is there like a scheduled time you like to, to tweet or, you know what I'm saying? Because that, that's a real concern. I do schedule tweets yeah. as well. A Hootsuite? I use Hootsuite. I'm yeah. a big fan of um, pumping up other people I, because I know that I'm in a privileged position. I've been National Educator of the Year, Teacher of the Year. Um, I have a fair number of followers on right. social media. So I've got into this thing right now. It's conference season. It's health and PE conference season. I'm now nerding out by looking at the conference schedule in advance, identifying the, the, the good health sessions, and then pre-tweeting yeah. that they're about to begin and you need to go check them out at this room at this time. Yeah. And now it's become quite addictive. Yeah. And isn't that what social media is? I, I just need, I don't know, I need my back, my back being patted multiple times a day. <laughs> and I get that on social media, right? Yeah. That's, the, yeah. that's the trigger. I need reinforcement. I need to feel good about myself. I jump to social media. I tweet. Someone retweets it. I feel good about myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's the reward. I know. It's um, wild. 
You read Irresistible, right? Uh, Irresistible, Irresistible by Adam Alter, one of yep. the best books I read in the summer. Uh, Why We Sleep by Dr. Matthew Walker, absolute game changer. And now I know that you and I are both reading Atomic Habits by mm-hmm. um, James Clear. James Clear. Well, and he is. He is. This, I'm, he's, I'm sure he's not listening to this podcast. He's agreed to be on the, our, this podcast Stop. in January. Stop. Yeah. So keep an eye out. That's outstanding. What a coup. What's your favorite thing about living in the United States that you didn't experience in the UK and the favorite thing about living in the UK that you never experienced in the United States? All right, let's go reverse. Okay. Living in England, I, obviously I miss my family. Yes. Friends and family. I miss warm beer. I miss warm <laughs> rain. Uh, I'm, and I miss Sunday newspapers. Oh, Sunday newspapers that are full of news. They're not full of cartoons and ads for local products and services. And the sports coverage is amazing. And it's sports that I understand. <laughs> and now I look at baseball stats and I'm like, I have no idea what that is. Yeah. What's an RBI? Is that a good thing? Yeah. Um, so I miss that. I miss that. And, I, and I, miss, I miss the buddies that I grew up with. You know, because now you come to the States and you're a, a mid-30s, early 40s man and you've got to find new friends. Yeah. That's weird. Hi, will you be my friend? Yeah. And then you feel bad that you're cheating on your friends back home. Uh, in America, <laughs> America's been really good to me. All right. And acknowledging the privileges, everything that comes with my privilege of being white and cisgender and moneyed and landed and educated and all yeah. of that stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I, I love the family that I've got here. I love the... I love the, the the way in which I've, be, I've been made welcome and, and I've been embraced. I love the fact that I can watch sports 24-7. <laughs> I just wish that the Chicago-based sports teams were a little bit better than they are right now. As a leader in this field, what advice would you give to a future leader who's hoping to embark on a similar journey? That's a good question. Um, do it. Just go ahead and do it. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Someone's going to laugh at you because you tried something, you know, you, and you're still going to learn from that experience. If you have an idea, just run with it. You're going to find your echo chamber somewhere. You're going to find your tribe. You're going to find your, your people in your PLN who are going to just chime in and, and, and sharpen your, your, your blade. Um, there's nothing to lose by trying it. There's nothing to lose. Just, yeah. Love it. That's good. Yeah. Just jump right. in. We used to have... Um, you never had Dave Bass at Knox, right? I did not. No. Um, no, he he left halfway through it while I was there, so that makes sense. But he his comment before football games was very simply and similar to that: "Jump in, the water's fine. Stop testing the water. Just jump in." Right. I like that. Um, yeah, I think I think a lot of people, from what I've seen, do a lot of water testing. You know, test the water over here, test the water over there. But you're saying just go for it. What's the worst that could happen? I like that. If, if there's ever anything that comes up, like let's do this, let's continue this. We can continue this dialogue let's, with something that you're. Let's open wait to. for the feedback first of all. If you've enjoyed this podcast, that's well, right. Please rate it, leave, rate yeah. it and please leave a podcast, uh, a podcast review. Well, here's why. Here's why anyone who gives a neg- some negative feedback will be immediately unsubscribed from the podcast because uh, I've really and I mean this. Okay, no fluff about it. I like I said. I think. PE and health education are as essential to a learning environment or to a human's life as anything they'll ever learn. I believe that with every bit of myself. Um, I think, like I said, that happens best and maybe even only happens when it's done well. To do it well, you have to be intentional, you have to have um, the right kind of mission, and you have those things. And now we, we say leaders know the way, go the way, and show the way. And you kind of, you've got one and two and, and this connected piece and the social media piece and, you, and you've got three cooking as well. Yeah. You're trying to help other people along. So the, uh, we are super happy to highlight you Thank for you. real. 
uh, and I hope people learn from this. I hope people reach out to you if they want to. We mentioned at Carmel Health. What you are can find me at Carmel Health. You can check out the senderteacher.com website. Mm. And then I have a blog yes. that's just so, blown up right now. I mean, I'm doubling the, the, the viewing figures every ready? year. So you can go to slowchathealth.com. If anybody wants to write something and put it out there, if you want to reach a global audience of health educators um, I would, and you have a passion for, for your, your craft, I'd love to showcase any good ideas that you've got. And is there a submission There's a submission link at the website or they email you? Maybe or? I need to put one of those on there. They can track me down via Carmel Health, sure. uh, you know, at Carmel sure. Health and, and we'll make it happen. Yeah. Great. That's awesome. Well, do you have anything else? That's all I got. Andy, thank you for all you do, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.